Welcome in to another episode of the Cali Green Monster Show. It's Thursday, February 25th, 2021. I'm your host, Dean Ryan, coming to you from the Tesla Studios here in beautiful, sunny San Diego, California. Got a nice little show for you planned for today. Going to talk some J.J. Watt, where his potential landing spot is going to be based off the potential contract offers and all the rumors floating around J.J. Watt. Talk some MMA slash combat sports. Haven't talked about the Jake Paul and Ben Askren fight in a while, so I'll give you a little update on what's going on in that front and all the shit Jake Paul's starting to stir. Even talk about a little bit of Conor McGregor. And then this week, either two nights ago, I finished watching Captain America Civil War. Got some thoughts about that. But before I dig into all that shit... Last night, the Los Angeles Lakers went to Utah to face the Utah Jazz, the first place Utah Jazz, the best team in the NBA, Utah Jazz. And a couple night, a couple episodes ago, I think on Tuesday's episode, I was I covered the Los Angeles Lakers overtime loss to the Wizards, and I was showing concern that LeBron James has been playing too many minutes. He's put on he's played had more minutes per game than any player in the NBA for so for a guy who's played so many seasons, played so many games and just so many minutes already in his NBA career. I'm worried about wear and tear and him breaking down as the season going along. I advised, you know, LeBron James either resting for last night's game or not putting in long hours or, you know, just trying to have kind of a you know, a, a quote-unquote load management night, you know, something that a lot of other superstars in the NBA do. Because I just felt like without Anthony Davis and, and Dennis Schroeder that the Lakers really had no shot last night. And as the game turned out, that's really what ended up happening. Utah won 114-89. to 89. The game was basically over by halftime. Utah was just on fire from three-point. They nailed like 14 three-pointers. Mike Conley had four. Bojan Bogdanovic had five. You know, uh, Jordan Clarkson was electric off the bench. Donovan Mitchell, in a game where he didn't really have his best game, the depth of the Utah Jazz really stepped up. So I think that that's, you know, that's what you need from you know, a championship winning team is that even when your star guy isn't having his best night, I think he only wound up with 13 points that they, that the rest of the pieces can pick it up. And regardless of the Lakers not having Anthony Davis or Dennis Schroeder, you know, they, they came out and beat them pretty handily. And that's what you need from a first place team. They need to be able to come in night in night out and the win the games that they're supposed to win. And that's what exactly what they did. So I think Utah, I don't get why there's so much talk about a lot of GMs and experts that don't think that Utah is the real deal. I feel like they're good on both sides of the, both sides of the court. And if anything, I think the people who kind of like, aren't really believing the hype or not thinking that Utah is a real title contender might be just it might just be because they are the Utah Jazz and the Utah Jazz hasn't won an NBA title but the thing is Utah has been a sneakily good franchise I was reading in an article on Bleacher Report that I think it's only the San Antonio Spurs the LA Lakers and the Boston Celtics that the franchises that have higher winning percentages than the Utah Jazz. So, you know, I, this could be the year. I wouldn't be surprised. 
they're definitely one of my picks. I mean, I still think that a healthy Lakers squad, we know with Anthony Davis coming back, and if, as long as LeBron James is healthy and good and motivated to go, where the Lakers are the best team. But I definitely think the Utah Jazz are definitely solid, like, my second pick and if the lakers aren't 100 percent healthy going in the playoffs i think utah's the team to beat i think that especially in a season like this where no one really has that much of a home court advantage considering that you know there's not really many fans utah i think has as much of a home court advantage as you can have by playing at such high altitude in salt lake city so i think just you know like i said all the factors i think it's the recipe for 2021 to be Utah's year so you know they're riding a pretty hot streak right now they're 11 and 1 in their last 12 games and they're 26 and 6 overall best record in the NBA Um, yeah we'll see how they're going and the Lakers I'm not too worried about them I don't think they need home court advantage as I've mentioned plenty of times on the show in the past I don't think they need home court advantage to do well in the playoffs it was exemplified by them doing so well um, last year in the bubble so I think that this four-game skid they're on can just be attributed to Anthony Davis being out, and you know that's obviously going to mess with their chemistry and their flow. But teams have these over the stretch of an 82-game season. Um, well, I, I don't, I don't think this season's—I forget how many games this season is—but over the course of an NBA season, there's going to be ebbs and flows, and I think the Lakers are going to be able to right the ship. So, yep. Moving on to football talk. J.J. Watt, reports are coming out that he has multiple offers and some of the most lucrative offers being around 15 to 16 million a year, which is pretty interesting because I was assuming when J.J. Watt got released by Houston, I was kind of more on the side that since he's probably going to go ring chasing, I didn't think that he'd be getting or at least accepting an offer of that high, like that high 15 to 16 million i was thinking he'd be fielding offers more around the 10 million you know 8 to 10 million range just to try to be like help whatever team he's joining to be competitive and so you know looking at that it's like if he is going to go for an offer that's 15 to 16 million dollars it's like automatically you know you scratch off a couple names off the list that at least that i had thought about is Tampa Bay because even though they do have some cap space they have too many people that they still have to sign you know like Shaq Barrett and a list a handful of others so I think JJ Watch is probably not going to work out there unless he were to come in for some sort of like league veteran minimum Kansas City they don't I don't think they have the salary cap to be able to pull it off same with Green Bay I don't think they're going to be able to have enough room to be able to bring in JJ Watt at that kind of price tag and you know same with LA Rams I don't think any of those teams have – they're not going to be able to have the cap flexibility to be able to bring in J.J. Watt, especially, you know, with what he's – I don't know. We don't even really know what exactly he's asking. I think at this point, you know, J.J. Watt has even come out and said that when he's looking at DoorDash, he will be looking at DoorDash for an hour. So super relatable guy. I mean, you know, when I'm looking at Uber Eats, if it's taking – if I figure something out in less than 20 minutes, it's – you know, I must have been thinking about that food all day and knew what I wanted. So, J.J. Watt, I think, is just going to field all the offers. But I was looking at all the NFL teams, the teams that have the best cap space, in addition to being contenders. And I kind of narrowed it down to a couple teams. So, 
one being the Indianapolis Colts. So that's one that that's a team that I constantly bring up in talks all the time. When especially with when they were looking for a quarterback, I kept saying that Matt Stafford was probably going to go to Indianapolis. Then when Matt Stafford went to L.A., I was all on the Carson Wentz train going to Indianapolis. So that eventually happened. And if you look at Indianapolis, they you know they're already a team that you know, made the playoffs, they're well-built, you know, now with Carson Wentz, that offense looks like, you know, if he, if Carson Wentz can be any resemblance of the Carson Wentz from 2017 and, you know, has, you know, show what he, he can do, you know, with that offensive line and the weapons that they have and the defense that they have has shown to be very formidable, like top five defense, that's a Super Bowl contender. And you could see J.J. Watt wanting to go up there. I mean, his wife plays soccer in Chicago his family's from Wisconsin so Indiana is kind of in that part of the country so I could see that being appealing Indianapolis has 54.5 million dollars in cap space so they have the room to be able to offer JJ Watt like 15 to 16 million dollars deal so that'd be pretty interesting and like the only notable free agents that they have is T.Y. Hilton and a lot of talks about T.Y. Hilton is that he's probably not going to get brought back to Indianapolis there's Justin Houston who's a defensive end and I think he's about 32 years old so you know J.J. Watt could be an upgrade over him and you know Jacoby Brissett which I don't think he's probably coming back especially with Carson Wentz coming I think Jacoby Brissett is completely underrated but you know I could talk about Jacoby Brissett another time this isn't the Jacoby Jacoby Brissett section this is the J.J. Watt section so I wouldn't be surprised if J.J. Watt ends up in Indianapolis another team Cleveland Browns they've got 25.7 million dollars in cap space and their only notable free agent is Olivier Vernon again I think that J.J. Watt would be an upgrade over him and then imagining J.J. Watt and Miles Garrett on the same line that would just cause problems and I would think that you know Cleveland is a team that's going all in you know they brought OBJ in a couple years ago and they're just they're a team that you know Jarvis Landry they brought in they brought in Kareem Hunt so they're just a team that's obviously trying to win and bring success to Cleveland you know Cleveland Browns fans are a rabid fan base I feel like the only other fan base you can kind of you know they're extremely loyal after years and years of shit they kind of remind you almost like of the Bills Mafia bit except they're not jumping through tables and breaking their necks so you know you can interpret that as you want I think Cleveland, that would be a good fit for J.J. Watt. And then the third option, which I don't think will happen, but it could potentially happen just by based off being a competitive team and them being the cap space is the Baltimore Ravens. They've got about $25 million in cap space, so they do have the room. But they also, they're notable free agents. They have Matt Judon and Yannick Ngakwe. So, you know, Judon's outside linebacker and Ngakwe is a defensive end and they're you know they're both young dudes I think they're both younger than JJ Watt so I don't know if that's necessarily in Baltimore's best interest to go for JJ Watt but that could be a potential option uh landing spot you know if it was me I'm thinking that it's probably going to be Indianapolis or Cleveland and that's if he's going for the most money but if he's trying to just get a ring and just go for the best situation, you know, that's where you can start seeing maybe a team like Tampa Bay um, or Kansas City, you know, getting into the mix. So that'll be pretty interesting. 
you know, like a lot of people had been talking about Pittsburgh potentially being a landing spot to go playing with his brothers. But it looks like they have like literally no cap space. So I'll have to see, it'd be interesting to see how they make it work. I'm always interested in seeing how these GMs and owners find a way to work around the cap. I feel like it's like every year with the Cowboys, they always talk about how there's no cap space, but then they end up finding a way to sign a dude. So it'll be interesting to see if like he does wind up in a place that somehow when you look online that they have negative cap space. So, you know, we'll just keep an eye on that. And I'm, I'm, I almost, I would be surprised if DJ Watt hasn't found a spot by the end of next week. So we'll, and when he does, I'll be here to talk about it. All right. Jake Paul. Haven't talked about him since probably the beginning of this podcast. Last time I brought him up, it's been he's booked to fight Ben Askren, MMA fighter. You know, he's a very popular wrestler. You know, he's an Olympic wrestler, NCAA champion. He was a Bellator champion, a 1FC champion, and but then, then again, he's probably most famous for getting flying knee knocked out by Jorge Masvidal in seven seconds. So, you know, either way, he's known. He's a pretty funny dude on social media. But, you know, Jake Paul arguably is even better at social media. He came out with a video recently where he was doing impersonations of Conor McGregor, Nate Diaz, Ben Askren, Dana White, Habib. And, uh, you know, not going to lie, I mean, some people might say it's cringe. I thought it was great. As I've mentioned a handful of times in the past, I'm a wrestling fan and Jake Paul gets it. You know, he's playing the heel perfectly. And, you know, cause it's like in combat sports, there needs to be the baby face and there needs to be the heel. There needs to be someone that you're rooting for and someone that you're rooting against, you know, and some people like rooting for the heel and some people like, like to root for the traditional baby face. I definitely think that there's that dynamic set up right now. Jake Paul is totally leaning into, you know, the MMA and boxing community and just combat sports community that just think he's a spoiled rich kid who's doing this because he's bored. And, you know, it'll be interesting come April 18th to see, you know, what he brings. Cause you know, Ben Askren, he's, you know, he's going to be training. He's a, an elite competitor. He's been doing, you know, combat sports of some variation since he was a kid, you know, whether it be wrestling or MMA. So this is going to be a tough dude. And I don't think, you know, I think that Jake Paul, obviously, you know, a lot of this is for promotion. Hopefully he is taking it serious enough to know that, you know, Ben Askren's going to be tough and it's not just going to be a dude that's going to come with his chin out. So I'm looking pretty forward to that. And if he could somehow get past Ben Askren, which, you know, he could, I mean, he, he, he looks to have good boxing form, but like I said, that was against an NBA guy. So we'll see what happens against an actual season fighter. But if he could get past Ben Askren, it would be real interesting if they set up a fight with like Diaz or McGregor, you know, Diaz has even been talking shit and saying that a fight with Jake Paul's inevitable. So, and that's something where I would love to see, because that would be the, the, a real opportunity to just kind of sh- Jake Paul will have bitten off more than he can chew. If he somehow gets in the ring with Nate Diaz, that would be, I think that would be the fight. A lot of, you know, a lot of Jake Paul haters would like to see, because that's something I can never see in a million years, him beating Nate Diaz. 
like you know Nate Diaz is too tough he's too <clears throat> I think he has cardio for days there's no way a guy who's been boxing for a handful of years is going to come in and you know beat a straight savage like a Diaz bro so either way I'm a fan you know I'll have to say I'm a fan of Jake Paul and what he's doing right now the whole point to the combat sports is to make it interesting and be able to talk people into a room to be able to watch you fight. And he's doing that. So of all these crazy, like circus tent fights, I'm actually, you know, I'm probably the most excited about this one ever or most since like Mayweather and McGregor. So yeah, I'll probably talk about more of that soon. And talking about Conor McGregor, sweet transition, it seems like he's being targeted for Dustin Poirier for them to have a finish up their trilogy fight. You know, I'm kind of a little bit surprised by that because when the when their fight ended, um, you know, their second fight and Conor McGregor got starched in the second round. Well, I shouldn't say starched because he did look good in the first round, and Poirier even self admittedly said that he got his bell rung by Conor McGregor. So he, I wouldn't say he got starched, but you know he did eventually get chopped down by those calf kicks, and he got finished. So you know he did get finished by a guy that he did beat in 2014. So say what you will, you know, it's, he starched, not got starched. You know, it's, it's semantics. Uh, I you know, I'm kind of surprised that. Uh, Poirier wouldn't be trying to angle for a title fight or making sure that the next fight is for an interim title or, you know, maybe that he wants to do the McGregor fight because he handled him so well this last time. He thinks it's just, you know, he's got the recipe to beat him. I think it'll be interesting to see how McGregor comes back because I think there's two sides or there's two camps. I think there's the one side that thinks that McGregor is past his prime and on the downside of your his career. You know, one of the things that he had shine on and that made him a star was that he was his ability to call his shot and go out there and deliver. And if you look at his past recent fights, he hasn't really been doing that. You know, it's a if you look back, Poirier, he lost. He handled Donald Cerrone. But before that, it's like choked up by Habib and then got beat by Floyd Mayweather. So he's taken a few L's like in three of the past four times we've seen him fight. So the definitely the shine is off the bloom, like like the bloom is off the rose there. So it is going to be interesting to see. It's like, is it is he past his prime or is it just that the amount of time in between all the times we've seen him has that really affected it? Which that's what I'm. You know, I might be saying that more as a Conor McGregor fan that I think that the Dustin Poirier performance, I feel like the third fight will be different. And I can I would anticipate I, I anticipate being a longer brawl and I anticipate Conor McGregor doing better. Ring rust is a thing, apparently. I'm not going to say ring rust is a thing like I'm a fighter and I've experienced ring rust. I'm not going to say that. But just hearing from other fighters and interviews is that, you know, if you don't have time in the octagon and you're not actually, you know, feeling real punches, you know, besides sparring and stuff, if you're not in there with 100% speed, 100% someone to try to take your head off, it's completely different. So I think that it's still, I guess, too early to tell if Conor McGregor's done. I think the next fight will be pretty indicative of how his career is going to go moving forward. So it seems like he still wants to compete. He still wants to finish off the trilogy fight. But, you know, moving beyond that, I don't know. I mean, he's he's making 
lots of money with the whiskey and he's got youtube dudes calling him out so i think that that seems a little bit more chill than you know running through the gauntlet of killers at 155 so we'll see what happens with conor mcgregor now switching out of sports as i mentioned at the beginning of the show a couple nights ago i watched captain america civil war and i'm not here to break down the movie or anything it was just more I just had to comment that, you know, it was basically two sides, right? It's either you were on Captain America's side or you were on Iron Man's side. And I just came out of that. It's like for this being a Captain America's movie, he was just like super unlikable. Like, honestly, I felt like the whole, you know, the Accords, the United Nation Accords, it made sense. It's like the Avengers are all based out of the USA and they just like fly around the world just like across borders and do all sorts of crazy shit and there's always collateral damage and people are dying from it. And of course the UN's just probably like, hey, we want to be able to have some sort of a say on whether like we want these superpowered people to come in. Because at the end of the day, it's like, if you're in France or some other country and like America's got all these superheroes that could just do whatever the fuck they want, like in a way it's like that's like having a nation that just has it's it's almost like being back when the USA had nukes and no one else did. So it makes sense that other people want to be able to like, hey, have some sort of regulation on superheroes. I feel like Captain America was being super unreasonable, being like, Hey, like that's just like not cool and it's like, Okay, dude, like I guess you can't see the big picture there. And it, especially it's like later in the movie, they literally destroy an entire airport because they're bickering. And it's like, Captain America, do you not fucking see that this is the reason that nations want an accord? You guys literally just showed up in Germany and had a superhero fight and like destroyed a terminal. And it's like, oh, yeah, like that's because uh, we were just kind of bickering. So that's why they're having the accord. And apparently Captain America can't see that. <clears throat> and in addition to that he's kind of like a huge tool with his his buddy Bucky like I get it that's like his childhood friend and stuff and he keeps using the argument of like oh Bucky was mind controlled that wasn't really him but like it's like at the same day at the at the same thing it's like he's dangerous as fuck you, when you are communicating with them, a bunch of cops show up, and these guys, these SWAT guys, these guys are SWAT guys with families, probably wife and kids, and they're just doing their job, trying to catch a terrorist, and then here's Captain America, who's just like, no, that's my friend from Brooklyn, and like, literally, they're beating the shit out of all these dudes, and like, he's throwing his vibranium shield at these dudes' heads, and it's like, it's almost, I've seen this argument about like, oh, Batman doesn't kill people, but he's putting these people in wheelchairs and, like, maybe probably making them quadriplegics. Like, look at, like, some of the shit-kicking that they that Captain America and the Winter Soldier do, like, on just innocent, like, SWAT dudes that are just trying to do their job. Like, he fails to recognize that he's the villain, basically, in his own movie at this point. Like, I found myself rooting for Iron Man the whole time. And then especially at that point at the end of the movie where Iron Man you finds out through the files or whatever that winter soldier is the one that murdered his parents. And you would think, okay, <clears throat> we just found out that Bucky killed Tony Stark's parents. Obviously Steve Rogers, Captain America is going to be like, okay. All right, Tony, we'll, 
let's bring him in and just like make sure you know he's not just like running free and whatever it's like no he just looks at tony's like he was my he's my friend and like dude tony had a great response it's like dude like I thought I was your friend. Like, we've been through so much shit together. We've already been through a couple Avengers movies together. Maybe this this is, like, the root of what happened in Iron Man 3 and, and then the Iron Man Winter Soldier. That's why they didn't fucking help each other. It's like, yeah, here we go. And uh, I don't know. It just seemed that whole time I'm watching Iron Man fighting Captain America and the Winter Soldier, and I'm rooting for Iron Man the whole time. So it's just kind of weird. I don't know what who we are supposed to root for there. I was telling my wife with Captain America, he just, yeah, he was just pretty unlikable. And that's coming from a guy that <clears throat> I genuinely have enjoyed Captain America for the most part in most of these movies. But yeah, Captain America Civil War, I'm for sure Team Tony Stark and Iron Man. So leave your comments on the Facebook page. If you know me personally, hit me up. Let me know what you think. Again, I appreciate everyone that's taking a listen. Hope you guys enjoy your Thursday. We're almost there. Almost Friday. Fuck yeah, people. Well, it's been another episode of the Cali Green Monster Show. Coming from the Tesla Studios here in beautiful, sunny San Diego, California. I'm your host, Dean Ryan. Peace.